Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, Democrats saying a White House stone wall is the concrete evidence. The lead starts right now. Digging in, the White House showing it is ready to go to war with Democrats over impeaching President Trump. As we learn, Democrats are planning the major next wave of the investigation. And breaking today, the president's critics called it Turkey attacks U.S. allies days after President Trump pulled troops back. And one of the biggest defenders of the president is livid. Plus, punching back Joe Biden for the first time, saying impeach President Trump But does he have a plan for the woman with all the plans now neck and neck with him in the polls? This is CNN Breaking News. And welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper. And we start today with breaking news in our politics lead. New CNN reporting right now that House Democrats are preparing a flurry of new subpoenas as the Trump administration declares war on the impeachment inquiry. Sources telling CNN Democrats are now threatening subpoenas for associates for uh, President Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and debating subpoenas for current State Department officials. Plus, we've got new reporting on a growing fracture in the Democratic Party over whether they should hold a formal vote on the impeachment inquiry. I'm going to go straight to CNN senior congressional correspondent Manu Raju live on Capitol Hill. And Manu, let's start with this new impeachment push. Who all could be subpoenaed? Yeah, expect three Rudy Giuliani associates to be hit with subpoenas very soon after they defied requests for information from these committees that are pushing forward on the impeachment probe. They're, they are almost certain to get hit with these subpoenas just in a matter of days. But also current State Department officials, people who have been asked to come in and testify, expected to be served with subpoenas because of this White House and State Department effort to resist the impeachment investigation at all costs. Now, that also could include uh, Marie Yavanovich, who's, of course, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. She has already been scheduled for an interview on Friday, but uh, we are told from multiple sources with the, familiar with the matter that there is new concern that she may not appear on Friday amid this White House and State Department push to prevent these officials from testifying because she is still a State Department employee. There's concern she may face backlash internally. So now there's growing discussion among Democrats to simply, simply sit, hit these people with subpoenas without formally in, inviting them from interviews first. And also also, news also on the whistleblower whose complaint has roiled the Trump's presidency. There's an effort to try to bring in the whistleblower to talk to this person behind closed doors and discussion about bringing this person in, not announcing this at all, and saying essentially that we will not learn about this testimony until after it happens, essentially doing the entire thing in secret, either at the Capitol or off-site. All this happening amid this growing push to wrap up this investigation, wrap up the decision to impeach this president as soon as Thanksgiving, Pam. And Manu, a small but influential group of Democrats are now uh, saying that they think an impeachment vote uh, would be a good thing. They're supporting that. 
But Speaker Pelosi seems to still be resisting that. That's right, because she does not believe it was, it's worthwhile. She believes under current House rules, they are essentially doing the impeachment inquiry. Nothing requires them to actually have the vote and that it could also put some of their members in a difficult spot. But there are Democrats, Democrats who believe, let's actually have the vote. John Garamendi today on CNN, who's an influential voice within the Democratic caucus, said have the vote amid the White House resistance to per- turning anything over because they're essentially saying, let's call the White House's bluff. The White House says this is not a a valid inquiry. So they're saying have the vote and then the White House will have stand on absolutely no grounds to turn over this information. And if they don't do it then, then Democrats argue it will only strengthen their case. The president's obstructing Congress, which they say, Pam, is an impeachable offense. All right, Manu, Raju bringing us the very latest from Capitol Hill. Now let's discuss all of this with our wonderful panel here today. And I want to start with you, Mehdi, uh, because as Manu sort of laid out there, it seems as though we're entering this new phase in the fight, at the very least. The pressure is on. The White House is stonewalling. Democrats are trying to figure out their strategy here. What do you think it should be? Uh, should it be more subpoenas, pushing for a vote to formalize this, both? What do you think? So I think the pushing for the vote, I'm not normally uh, a big fan of the way Nancy Pelosi handles things, but I think she's right on this. The idea that you do it because the White House demands it is absurd. Uh, Manu mentioned some Democrats are saying, call their bluff, call this White House's bluff. That might work with a normal White House. This White House doesn't give a damn about bluffs. It doesn't give a damn about uh, facts. It will just move the goalposts, raise the bar. It's It's not a good faith actor. So it's not as if they actually care about the vote. And the minute you have a vote, they'll start complying with subpoenas. They won't. I think you deal with the subpoena issue now. Uh, there's a viral clip doing the rounds on Twitter and Facebook of Lindsey Graham from 1998 mm-hmm. going on about how the moment Richard Nixon didn't comply with a subpoena, that was the day he was impeached. Well, you know, play that clip, play it everywhere, play it to every Republican, play it in every hearing, because Lindsey Graham is now obviously the Trump's biggest defender. Then he was a campaign manager for Republicans on Bill Clinton's impeachment. The hypocrisy is there. The mm-hmm. bad faith is there. I think the Democrats just have to plow ahead and not do anything on the White House or the Republicans' terms. That's madness. And Sarah, you covered the White House. You know it very well. Well, I mean, so you're in a situation now where if a vote is held, the White House could still very well stonewall. They didn't make any commitments in that letter. Democrats have said, well, if they do that, then that will give us even more ammunition. You know, what do you think? I think they already have a lot of ammunition. I mean, they get to decide how the impeachment proceedings go. And I think that we have seen in the way that other challenges have been brought in court, the judges are essentially saying we are ready. And we have been watching the arguments that this administration has made across the board when it comes to oversight issues, when it comes to impeachment issues. We are ready to, to counter these arguments because they haven't been tested in court. And so I think that if what the committees want to actually do is get this information and move forward as quickly as possible, that's the place to fight it. It's not to hold a vote and then wait for the White House to move the goalpost again and then decide that you want to try to challenge this in court. I think they have the ammunition to do that already. You have them openly defying subpoenas. What more do you need? Yeah, I think what Democrats are losing focus of is what is at stake here. Subpoenas are a tool in this fight against the White House. But what isn't being messaged, you know, what I'm concerned about, what I think a lot of Republicans are concerned about, what is at stake here? This really has to do with our democracy, our elections, our allies, our enemies, our foreign policy, our national security. We really should be thinking, and I have the Kurds in the back of my mind now, as we all should, in this terrible moment that they're in, what kind of foreign policy president is Donald Trump? Is he trading our democracy, our military aid, our American might in military for election assistance, for cheating. I mean, we really have to talk about the big values here. It's not about subpoenas. And so I do think Nancy Pelosi, 
They need to talk about what this is about. Why are you doing this? Because mm-hmm. if you're just talking about pushing paper, it doesn't matter. The whole thing is getting the public matter. on board, right? She said from the very beginning, it's all about getting the public on board. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this, of course, is messaging. And this is a White House that has a very expansive view of executive privilege. But yes. executive privilege is not <laughs> Trump public interest. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, I'm going to reshape this for just 30 seconds. I think this isn't good for America. I, it, I do think it is good for the president. It's not a new strategy. Remember, they had a bad story on Russian intervention in the election, including the, the, the president's son accepting or, or potentially mm-hmm. accepting it. Bad Full story. Soliciting. What did that story become? This is a partisan fight. As soon as you have a vote in the Congress, the president is going to switch this into see not everybody voted. This is the Democrats versus Republicans. This doesn't have to do with Ukraine. This looked to me like back to the future. In the last time we did this, I think the president won. Hmm. Right now, they're winning the messaging battle, the Democrats. Look at the polls this week. Yeah, without- 50% of registered voters saying they support impeachment, not an inquiry, mm-hmm. actually removing the president from office. You have one in three Republicans in the Trump cult saying that they support an impeachment inquiry, which is an astonishing yeah. number. I never thought I'd see a number that high so quickly. I actually think that the Democrats should actually go bigger. I've been saying this for a while. It's, the impeachment can't just be about Ukraine. That's yeah, my first interesting view. interesting because the president seems to be grappling, uh, just from my reporting, about how to handle this, what the strategy should be. There's, he's very calm on Twitter. He's yeah. very, oh, well, very... It's chaos. I mean, <laughs> they know... If they can make everyone hate Washington more and make this a partisan fight, yeah. they win. He was the candidate elected to come to Washington and blow it up with his Twitter account, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're dealing with the consequences of that. Speaking of Twitter, President Trump, no surprise to any of us here, unleashing on Twitter today why he is now demanding an apology over the impeachment investigation. And then breaking moments ago, Turkey sends ground troops to northern Syria just after President Trump's withdrawal. We're live on the ground there in Syria. We'll be right back. And we are back with our politics lead, President Trump, today twisting the truth and doing everything he can to undermine the whistleblower as the White House refuses to cooperate with what it calls an illegitimate impeachment probe by Democrats. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi now says that move could be used as evidence of obstruction. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports from the White House. After announcing he'll totally defy the Democratic-led impeachment investigation, Today, President Trump called for it to end, claiming it's tainted with political bias and demanding the whistleblower be exposed and questioned. After the White House counsel wrote in a scathing eight-page letter Tuesday that Trump has a country to lead, the president fired off dozens of tweets today, seizing on a conservative media report that the whistleblower has a professional tie to a 2020 candidate, which CNN has not been able to verify, despite the inspector general finding the complaint urgent and credible. Democrats say they're calling the administration's bluff on stonewalling. They will ignore those subpoenas at their peril. You don't get to say no to a congressional subpoena. Though claiming it won't cooperate, the White House is gearing up for an impeachment fight anyway, recruiting Trey Gowdy to help from the outside. The former South Carolina congressman led the Benghazi probe and once held this view on stonewalling. The notion that you can withhold information and documents from Congress, no matter whether you're the party in power or not in power, is wrong. Respect for the rule of law must mean something irrespective of the vicissitudes of political cycles. Sources say the White House wants another voice in the impeachment battle, a job that has mostly been left to Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, until now. I went back to read uh, two books about the Salem witch trials. They required witnesses to face the witch, and some witches were acquitted. 
The witches had it better, in other words. They had more rights. The fight coming as CNN has learned that as early as last May, Trump directed Energy Secretary Rick Perry and other top officials to deal with Giuliani on Ukraine and go around official channels. Now, Pam, the president was just speaking with reporters during an event here at the White House. During that time, he predicted that this fight with Democrats over impeachment could go to the Supreme Court. And when one reporter in the room asked if the White House would be more willing to cooperate with Democrats in their request for documents and testimony, if the House took that floor vote, this is something the White House would not go this far on yesterday. The president said they would if Democrats gave them their rights without going into full detail of what that would look like. All right, Caitlin Collins from the White House there. Thank you so much. So let's try to figure out what is going on here at the White House, because it seems as though they're trying to piece together this strategy, sending out this blistering letter, hiring outside counsel, also though saying this isn't a formal impeachment inquiry. And it's interesting, if you look at the letter, it is very Trump-esque. You know, this was a letter from Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel, But do you think by sort of trumping it up, if you will, that that sort of undermines perhaps some of the merits in the letter? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, their biggest offense is what they've been saying for so, so long, is that the Democrats are hysterical and want to overturn the results of the 2016 election because they hate Trump. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what you hear everywhere. You can't get away from this talking point. But I, I do think among Trump's allies on the Hill and in the media, it's starting to feel like the boy who cried wolf. He's been saying it so much, but there's really something here. And you do see the more intellectually honest people who do try to talk about this say, listen, yeah, this is bad, but it's not impeachable. Um, That's not a great conversation to have with the Democrats, because if you admit it bad, you should be willing to do something to hold them account for it. If you think it's bad, how do you trust this president to continue to conduct foreign policy amidst another election? I don't think they've gotten that far, but those are the natural questions that lead that I don't think they know how to answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think you know, even Tucker Carlson yeah. came out and wrote an op-ed saying, even Tucker Carlson said, this was not a great conversation. This was not a good yeah. conversation. Donald Trump, of course, has described it as a perfect conversation. Uh, Tucker disagrees with him. And yeah, once you do that, then you're in a different ballgame. You're talking about, well, you know, what do we do about it? It's not just uh, imagination. When you said the White House strategy, I think Jay Rosen, the media critic, has a good line about how there is no White House. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that there's a coordinated strategy, there's no evidence yeah. of that on any scandal that we've seen in the last three years. Do you think the White House, quote unquote, the White House wanted Donald Trump to stand in front of reporters and say, and China, you should investigate Joe Biden too? I'm I'm pretty sure that wasn't part of any legal or political strategy. He just goes out and says mad stuff. Mm -hmm. So as long as he keeps doing that, he will continue digging his own hole. It's what the Democrats do with that hole. You know, subpoena, subpoena, but how are you going to enforce it? What contempt uh, are you going to throw out there against officials who don't turn up? And then just one last point, the idea of Trey Gowdy. Whose idea was that to hire Trey Gowdy as your outside counsel? We saw the clip in the package where he's done a U-turn. He's done a U-turn. That's true. He's done a U-turn like like Lindsey Graham. The idea that the guy guy who ran the the fake Benghazi inquiries where there was no story is the guy you're going to go to try and discredit what clearly is a real story. And it seems like to me it's also a way to put Rudy on the sidelines more um, than <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. Trey Gowdy all over television. I am very curious to see how those interviews go because I imagine they're going to begin frequently with the clip of how he ran some of these Benghazi investigations. Exactly. And I also think, look, lawmakers have not been in town, which is mm-hmm. hard to remember because some have been because they thought they were going to get witnesses. But for the most part, lawmakers have been at home and they are about to come back and Republicans especially mm-hmm. will not be able to hide from Manu Raju and the rest of the press <laughs> yes, Exactly. That's on 
on Capitol Hill chasing them down and saying, okay, you had your time back in your districts. You had a couple weeks to figure out what you were going to say. What mm -hmm. are you going to say? How are you going to just explain this away? And if you don't think it's an impeachable offense, as you were saying, mm -hmm. so what do you do about it? Mm -hmm. If you think that this is just cringeworthy and toes the line of selling American democracy but isn't impeachable, well, then where are you just yeah, going to sit back? I, you know, I don't want to be the skunk in the room, but let me try to be that. <laughs> right. Go for it. Really? <laughs> really? But I, I do think there's an emergent, if not strategy, at least tactics that are consistent. I think Trey Gowdy makes perfect sense. We're not talking about Ukraine. The president has pivoted the conversation to something that Republicans are going to be more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Should the president be impeached or not? Yep. No conversation the last half hour has been about Ukraine. Trey Gowdy is mm -hmm. not there to explain why it's appropriate to ask a foreign power to intervene in America. He's there to tell the people. People, as the president will say at rallies, I told you I was going to drain the swamp. The swamp, yep. the swamp is trying to reverse the election again. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I'm not sure it's calculated, but yeah. it's starting to clarify. And it, it might work at the rallies because lots of mad stuff he says works at the rallies. But as I said, the polls, even, you know, we're barely, what, two weeks in? What kind of mm -hmm. keep track of it? The polls are really bad for the president. We, we know he pulls over these polls. And, and yes, that's going to exactly. make him even crazier. That's going to make him crazier as he sort of grapples how to move forward here. Thank you so much, guys. We still have a lot more news uh, to get to. So why does President Trump keep attacking the whistleblower? I'm going to ask a whistleblower whisperer up next. Well, breaking news in our politics lead, the president continues to mislead and attack the whistleblower, despite the fact their complaint lines up with the White House's rough transcript of President Trump's call with the Ukrainian leader. Then it turns out that the whistleblower was in cahoots with Schiff. Then it turns out that the whistleblower is a Democrat, strong Democrat, and is working with one of my opponents as a Democrat that I might end up running against. The whole thing is a scam. It's a fix. So we know the whistleblower did meet with the House aide, but that doesn't mean the whistleblower was in cahoots with Adam Schiff or anyone. And CNN has not been able to verify if the whistleblower was working with the 2020 candidate. But just moments ago, CNN also learning the whistleblower could secretly be deposed. Joining me now is Tom Muller, author of the brand new book, Crisis of Conscience, Whistleblowing and the Age of Fraud. What a uh, perfect timing for your book to be released right now amid all of this going on, um, Tom. You know, we're learning now through my colleague Monty Raju and Zach Cohen's new reporting that now the whistleblower may be deposed to testify on Capitol Hill in secret, so no one would really know of it happening. What value would that add, an in-person testimony to, to the Hill Committee add um, beyond what's, what's already out there from the whistleblower complaint? Well, uh, yes, it is, it is an extremely important thing for the whistleblower to fill out a lot of the details that essentially they've laid out in a roadmap um, mm -hmm. in their complaint. It's a nine-page um, bulletproof complaint that lays out who you need to talk with, which documents you need to subpoena, and, and now it's up to Congress to kick the tires and make sure that these facts are correct. And you've spoken to over 200 whistleblowers. When you hear the president talk like we just heard, and when you see these tweets from the president calling the whistleblower a spy, treasonous, a liar, do you think that this will have an impact or deter other whistleblowers from coming forward in the future? Well, let me just say this is standard 101 whistleblower retaliation. 
When you're That's scared so you of think the it's a violation of the law? I certainly do. I mean, this person was guaranteed anonymity. That means anonymity. Uh, trying to challenge that is a big problem. But it's also a way of shifting focus from the facts to the person. See if you can personalize this to see what kind of person they are. It's a smokescreen, basically, to deflect from the truth. And yes, it's certainly going to scare certain people away. But it's going to make another a group of people, those 12 people that are referenced in the complaint, perhaps even more determined to come forward. We've already heard of one, perhaps more, that are willing to become whistleblowers themselves. This is the community of whistleblowers that's surfacing and that's bringing a body of evidence together. And that's what we need to focus on, not who they are, not what they do on the weekends. This is facts. We need to focus on facts. So, so let me get to that, though, because, you know, the president clearly is trying to make this argument, though, that who they are matters because there could be political bias. A, a source told CNN that the possible political political bias listed in the IG report was that the whistleblower is a registered Democrat. So does that discredit the whistleblower's complaint at all, particularly when you look at like public perception of this? Well, public perception is easily deflected. We have a situation in which we have public servants who may be Republican, may be Democrat. I still believe that there are public servants who actually want to do their duty. Mm -hmm. That's my sense of what we have here. And so it's very, very easy to start calling names and saying, but besides which, consulting Adam Schiff, consulting the House Intel Committee, that's a very standard procedure to figure out what steps you need to take to follow the law in your disclosures. Many people have done that. And more of the onus was on Schiff for saying he hadn't had contact and then to learn about it. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. Really appreciate you sharing your insight on the show. Thank you. Tom Muller, author of the brand new book, Crisis of Conscience. And breaking news, Turkey now sending ground troops into Syria just days after the U.S. withdrawal. We are live on the ground in Syria up next. Breaking news in the world lead Turkey escalating its strikes in northern Syria, now sending in ground troops. Today, President Trump called the operation a bad idea, never mentioning one thing, the Kurds, Turkey's intended targets, and U.S. allies who helped America fight ISIS. Now, just as critics of the decision to pull U.S. troops out of the way feared, Turkish forces have crossed into the border into northern Syria, launching airstrikes. Civilians left running for cover as fighter planes and plumes of smoke filled the sky above. CNN's Clarissa Ward and Nick Payton Walsh are both along the Turkish-Syrian border. Clarissa, I'm going to start with you. It is almost midnight now. Have the attacks scaled down into the night at all? Uh, well, no, essentially, Pam. Uh, we're just learning from the so-called Syrian Democratic Forces, largely made up of Kurdish fighters, that in fact it appears uh, Turkish ground troops have been making a push into Syria. We are here in northern Syria, and I can tell you, Pam, it has been quite a day here, a steady stream of artillery and strikes really starting in the late afternoon and pretty much continuing, not just in the town of Ras al-Ain that we visited earlier, where we could see the aftermath of strikes, thick plumes of black smoke, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of civilians fleeing, the roads choked with traffic and smoke, people trying to get to safety but simply having no idea of where to go to be safe. And now, of course, the fear is that this is turning into a full-blown ground invasion. No one knows exactly, Pam, yet what the scale of it is, how many troops are coming in, what exactly their purpose is, or how long they will be here. But what is certain is that people here feel very betrayed by the international community, and particularly by the U.S., because it's Kurdish fighters who have been fighting and dying in the battle against ISIS, and now they face a very 
uncertain future, Pam. And let's talk about that, because as we know, just a few days ago, the president withdrew U.S. troops uh, from helping the allies there. And the Syrian Democratic Forces, or SDF, says civilians have been killed in the Turkish airstrikes. It's begging the U.S. to implement a no-fly zone to stop the attacks. Is that possible at this point? It doesn't appear to be. We've heard of uh, Turkish airstrikes already today, Turkish artillery. Uh, and now we're hearing from a senior Turkish official who spoke to CNN's Christian Amanpour saying uh, that President Trump knew exactly what was going to happen here, that President Erdogan of Turkey had been very transparent with him about what it was exactly that the Turkish military had in store. And people here are just sort of reeling, essentially, Pam, because believe it or not, they did actually have a moment where they believed or at least hoped that the U.S. might change its tune, might do an about face, and might step in to sort of give the Kurds a stay of execution, if you will. Now that it's abundantly clear that that is not going to happen, they are, of course, looking to their other options, looking to the regime of Bashar al-Assad, looking to their backers in the form of Russia and Iran. Uh, but they don't have a lot of good options right now. And given how long they have been fighting and how many thousands of souls have been sacrificed in that fight against ISIS, uh, it's fair to say there's a lot of bitterness and resentment as well as fear on the ground here, Pam. Understandably so. Thank you so much, Clarissa Ward. I want to go now to Nick Payton Walsh, who is also along the Turkey-Syria border. A senior U.S. defense official just told CNN Turkey's attacks are already hurting the U.S. counter-ISIS operations, effectively bringing it to a halt. Nick, what are you hearing there on the ground about what the attacks mean for the resurgence of ISIS? Well, there are two ways of looking at that. Firstly, they're the ISIS detainees. That's the urgent pressing problem because their fate, frankly, was a thorn in everybody's side, particularly the Syrian Kurds who were struggling to hold them in the facilities they have. Often makeshift, about 10,000 fighters held, 2,000 of those are not Syrian or Iraqi, so foreign fighters. And Donald Trump, one of the things he said back on Sunday was that Turkey had promised to take custody of those fighters. Now, that was far-fetched, frankly, back then. It's even more far fetch when he suggested it again today. Uh, they are held by Syrian Kurds who would be under attack by Turkey. So somehow, amid that pitched battle, this handover of 2,000 or more of the most dangerous possible people on the planet would have to occur. That's one problem, certainly. The second is ISIS was created in a vacuum. That's how they came to be in the horrors of Syria's civil war, representing disenfranchised Syrian Sunnis who needed someone who perhaps to look out for them, however brutal they were. There'll be another vacuum now as the Syrian Kurds rush north to try and stop Turkish military forces coming in, as there's general chaos and possibly in the south, those same Syrian Kurds see Russian or Syrian regime forces move into areas there. We've already seen the occasional attack uh, inside Raqqa, the former de facto capital uh, of what ISIS used to call their caliphate. Just a few nights ago, it seems like one man uh, attacked a, a security headquarters there. We'll hear more disinformation possibly about ISIS's re-emergence. Nobody really knows how strong they still are, but there have been periodic attacks out here in the desert, certainly over a period of time. And I'm sure you can bet that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, their leader, is waiting for a moment of chaos like this. Mm. All right, Nick Payton Walsh, thank you so much there on the ground on the border. Well, no ifs, ands or buts. Joe Biden today making a statement about President Trump that he has never said before. He believes he can and will get away with anything he does. 
We all laughed when he said he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and get away with it. It's no joke. He's shooting holes in the Constitution. Well, there you heard it. Former Vice President Joe Biden uh, for the first time calling for President Trump to be impeached today. CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports on what was Biden's strongest statement over the growing Ukraine controversy. To preserve our Constitution, our democracy, our basic integrity, he should be impeached. For the first time today, Joe Biden calling for the impeachment of President Trump, dropping any caveats of waiting for the outcome of the House investigation. President Trump has indicted himself by obstructing justice, refusing to comply with the congressional inquiry. He's already convicted himself. In a speech in New Hampshire, Biden joining many of his Democratic rivals in calling for Trump's removal from office, saying the president has repeatedly undermined American democracy. We see it in Trump's own words. We see it in the text from State Department officials that have been made public. We see it in his pulling much of the United States government into his corrupt schemes, individuals within the government, his appointees. It's the latest escalation from Biden, who initially supported an impeachment inquiry and planned to withhold final judgment. But he said too many damning details have already been disclosed about Trump pushing foreign leaders to meddle in the 2020 election. We all laughed when he said he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and get away with it. It's no joke. He's shooting holes in the Constitution and we can not let him get away with it. He also mounted another defense of his son, Hunter Biden, and the work for a Ukraine gas company while Biden was vice president, an arrangement Trump has seized upon with no evidence of wrongdoing by either Biden. He's targeted me and my family with lies and distortions and smears. And that's all they are, because he thinks he will undermine my candidacy for the nomination. Here in New Hampshire, Democratic voters are still sizing up the field, but not Biden's integrity. What do you make of all the back and forth between President Trump and Joe Biden right now? Do you have any questions about Joe Biden's character? No, because uh, I trust him to be more truthful than what we have in, as a president right now. And uh, the negativity is just way beyond. It needs to stop. But even some admirers say the controversy has raised questions about Biden's judgment that may warrant more explanation. Do you have any questions of uh, Joe Biden's integrity or character? Uh, not as much as I do President Trump, but, uh, you know, uh, certainly, you know, there's some questions on how his son got that job and that sort of thing. Now, there is no evidence of wrongdoing by either Biden, but when we talked to voters today, there was a sense of confusion over all of this. One voter even called it a soap opera between the president and the former vice president. Pamela, that is one of the reasons Joe Biden is speaking out much more forcefully, and he talked much more aggressively than he has over the last three weeks about this. He accused the president of betraying the country. He also said this, Pamela, we are not going to let Donald Trump try and pick our nominee, period. That, of course, was a veiled reference to Elizabeth Warren. Some Democrats wonder if Biden is weakened here, if that will help Elizabeth Warren. Of course, we are here in New Hampshire. You can see people uh, lining up for this next Biden event behind me. Elizabeth Warren beating uh, Joe Biden here. Very competitive at this point. Pamela. All right.
Thank you so much, Jeff Zelny, for bringing us the latest there. Now, Senator Bernie Sanders admitting that he needs to scale back his campaign schedule after his heart attack, telling CNN he just isn't going to be able to keep up his usual schedule. CNN's Ryan Nobles joins me live in Sanders' hometown. So, Ryan, just how big of a deal is it that Sanders has to scale back his campaign schedule? Well, Pam, it's a big enough deal that he's already starting to walk those comments back. In an interview with NBC set to air later tonight, Sanders said that he misspoke when he told us yesterday that he plans to change the nature of his campaign and dial back on the uh, excessive numbers of rallies and travel dates that he's had up until the campaign at this point. Sanders saying now that he will slowly get back on the campaign trail after suffering that heart attack, but plans to get back to that vigorous campaign schedule he had before the incident. Now, Sanders is also responding to criticism that he did not let the public know soon enough that he suffered a heart attack last week. This is what he told NBC Today about the transparency of his campaign. We wanted to have a sense of what the hell was going on, really. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we're trying to do is understand what's going on and not run to the New York Times and have to report every 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a baseball game. So I think we acted absolutely appropriately. The campaign has bristled at any kind of criticism that perhaps they did not let this information out early enough, saying that they've been transparent from the very beginning. Sanders still resting here in Burlington. He's not expected to get back out on the campaign trail until that October 15th CNN New York Times debate. Pam. All right, Ryan Nobles, thank you so much for that. Well, the presidential candidate potentially posing more of a threat to Joe Biden than questions about Ukraine. That's up next. Well, in our 2020 lead, former Vice President Biden, for the first time today, calling for Trump to be impeached. So the question is, why is this significant, Amanda? Why does it matter that Trump is calling? I'm sorry. Biden is calling (laughs) for this now. Well, he's catching up to the rest of the field. But I I do think it presents some problematic questions because Biden's whole appeal to the general voter is that he can ultimately win over Trump voters. Mm -hmm. So now you're the person calling for Trump's impeachment. I don't know how that squares with people who voted for Trump. I, I think he has to do it at some point or another. But there's going to be a dance there, and that's something for Trump voters to grapple with if Joe Biden's still the safer option. It's just this whole, this whole idea of permission slips mm-hmm. for Republican voters to come over to the Democratic side. And I, I didn't see him do that in that speech today. Okay. And, and you know, the question is, we've seen other candidates who have already called for this, yes. right? Why now? Is Biden leading from behind, do you think? Very much so. Um, you know, good work catching up with everyone else, as you said. Julian Castro, Elizabeth Warren were back in April, were calling for impeachment. Mm-hmm. Beto O'Rourke says he was calling for it for two years. Um, Biden comes out now. It's awkward for him, of course. One point you didn't mention is that the whole impeachment saga is to do with him and his son. Uh, he doesn't want really people to talk that much about his son because while Donald Trump is wrong about his son in Ukraine, there are other issues to do with his son, which probably mm-hmm. might harm him in a general election. Um, I was on this show months ago, just before he declared, I remember saying the only place for him to go as frontrunner is down, especially because I believe he'll be a, a disaster of a candidate. And that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. He has gone down this week. We've seen Elizabeth Warren become yeah. the frontrunner in the aggregate of polls. Uh, good. People shouldn't have written off Elizabeth Warren and they shouldn't have kind of gone over the top and about Joe Biden. About that. Yeah, let's talk about that, because Biden still is very focused on being this big threat to um, to Trump. But let's look. Let's look at this Quinnipiac poll that you're, you're alluding to. Warren is at 29 percent. Biden is at 26 percent among Democratic voters. What do you think, Layla? You cover Warren. Should, should Biden be more concerned about Warren than Trump right now? 
Well, I'll tell you that uh, over the weekend when I was with Warren in, in San Diego, as well as Carson City, an area that's pretty red, and at the SEIU event, um, I actually heard people who were telling me Biden isn't going far enough here. We like that Warren is a fighter. We, that, that's what we're looking for as voters. Uh, I didn't see that quite play out among the candidates themselves when they uh, were asked about that. They all sort of stayed on, on to your point, if, if Beto called for impeachment. He said he did it two years ago. But in terms of the voters themselves, uh, I, I really did see a bit of that reflected mm-hmm. in saying that those who were with Biden kind of stayed with him, but those who were on the fence, that was an issue. And, and the, this is key because, and I should note in that, that poll, the lead is within the margin of error, but it just shows you how tight it is right now. And also, as you look at these numbers and you hear the president continuing to hammer Joe Biden, it does make you wonder how much of an impact that is having. Does it help or hurt Biden, you think? I I think it it, it definitely hurts Biden. When you have the president of the United States out there talking about you all the time, Mm -hmm. slamming you, we can say on television a million times that what the president is saying, you know, isn't necessarily true, isn't based in fact that, you know, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, there's no sign that they did anything wrong. But this is still a huge bully pulpit. When you are the president of the United States, you have the biggest message. And he has decided to turn that against Mm -hmm. Joe Biden. Now, if all of a sudden he realizes that Elizabeth Warren is on the rise and he feels like Elizabeth Warren is a real threat, he's going to turn his megaphone around to Elizabeth Warren. He called her uber-left Warren, didn't he? Exactly. So I think the threat exists. Yeah, the threat exists for anyone who's running against a sitting president. And and I do think that, you know, Biden's campaign would be fooling themselves if they didn't think that this had something to do with it. And let's talk about Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, because he said that he's going to be cutting back uh, on his campaign schedule after his heart attack. What does this mean, though, in terms of the other candidates? Because does this the question is, does this shine a light um, not just on his age, but also the other candidates ages? As we see here on the screen, Amanda, um, they're around the 70s. Well, I, I think largely it makes it hard for anyone to attack Bernie in the upcoming debate. Um, which two reasons. One, because of his health. But the other thing, he still has a strong base. He's raising a ton of money. In long term, people worry about a convention scenario, a contested convention. It would be the Bernie people that stick by him through thick and thin that present those problems. And so there's just no way to kind of gently nudge him out unless he goes himself. All right. Thank you all so much. Do appreciate it. And be sure to tune in to CNN tomorrow for a groundbreaking town hall event, Equality in America. CNN partnered with the Human Rights Campaign to discuss the issues facing the LGBTQ community with the 2020 presidential candidates. And it all starts tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Our coverage continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.